A coffee in the accursed mountains. When we moved to Pristina in 2006, we were desperate to find ways to navigate this new city and this new life. And the first important way that I was given to find my way home was the name of a woman from Albania from 100 years ago. The name of the street where we moved in was Musine Kokolari. And so I immediately went on to Wikipedia to find out who this person was who was welcoming me home. And I discovered that she was a writer, always like a writer. She had um, an inspiring and depressing, tragic history. And uh, it didn't take me a lot of moving around Pristina's streets to realise just how unusual she was in being a woman to be commemorated in one of the capital's road signs. It really was a remarkable life. And it went through two uh, very distinct phases. As a younger woman, she was a literary enthusiast, a scholar of Albanian literature, who then, after studying in Rome, came back to Albania uh, at the start of the Second World War and produced three books of folk stories. She then got involved in politics, and she was one of the co-founders of the Social Democratic Party during the Second World War. But at the end of the war, her attempt with that of her, her colleagues to, to promote democracy and to encourage some kind of pluralism fell foul of the the dominant communist movement of, of Enver Hodja that was coming to power. Two of her brothers were shot and she, after making an amazingly brave but unfortunately futile and ignored plea to the Americans and the British to insist on some kind of pluralism in Albania, she was imprisoned and she disappeared from the world for 40 years, first in, in full imprisonment and then in internment until her death in 1983 in complete solitude. And so, of course, she was a natural choice to be one of the eight extraordinary women in Balkan history uh, that we included in the book that we wrote uh, last year. But we had the chance, in fact, at the launch of that book, to meet with another extraordinary woman, a woman who's written her own book about Musina's life, who uh, has got to know the full details of Musina's life and who can reflect as an Albanian woman on the significance of Musina for Albania today. And so it's been a great pleasure to chat longer to Nashi Brooker. How did you first hear about Musinet, and what, what first interested you in her story? When I come from a persecuted background myself, and to be honest with you, I just heard of, of Musinet Kokolari as one of the women who opposed Amber Hoja. You say you, you come from a, um, yourself from a persecuted family. Can you say just a little bit more about that, if you're comfortable with it, for people who will have no idea of what the reality of Hodges Albania was like? My grandfather was declared a Kulak in 1951. I was born in late 60s and I was a Kulak as well. And my children would have been Kulaks. And, for, and a Kulak meaning? Well, that means that you had no right of education. You had no right no right to, to get an employment, uh, no right um, to get anything from the state, even the food. 
you would get if anything was left over for you. But they couldn't stay where they were. They had their farms because the land was taken. So these people were ostracized. I was only 10 years old and a communist member stopped me, stopped me in the street and he said, doesn't matter how, how well you do at school, you know, go to further your education anyway. I remember exactly the time, the place where he said that to me. So that equality opportunities that the communism talks so much still today did not exist for me. I had no right to choose education. I had no right to choose a job. I even had no right to choose a husband. I had no choice. I had to work in the, uh, the farm. So did my mother. But we're talking about 63% of the population, men and women, have no opportunity. It's an extraordinary insight you give on on what this was like in practice, which I, I guess many people in uh, who've only ever known Western Western societies just won't be familiar with. Um, and, and that must have given you a deeper understanding of the predicament of Musine Kokolari, this, this energetic, dynamic, articulate, literate young woman who'd um, been creative from a very early age and had gone abroad for education um, and then dared to believe that uh, political pluralism might be possible and had spoken out in favour and then finds herself arrested. Yes, by 1946, she was, she's published books. She was only 20 when she started publishing her prose and poems in um, the Stupi newspaper, which was a left-wing newspaper at that time. She created a political party, or she tried to create the Social Democrat Party in 1943. She um, published a newspaper of which she was the chief editor, The Voice of Freedom, and she ran that for seven months with her own money. She published three books until 1944, 1944 before her brothers were killed. 20 year old, to have that sort of maturity, I don't think, I think it's, I think it's extraordinary for Albania, but I think it's extraordinary for Balkan region. And I think in Europe, probably, it's also extraordinary. And what she did in 1945, I mean, she was clear. She had this clear idea as why the democracy was needed. You've spent a lot of time in Kosovo and you've written this fantastic book. Balkan region has not known democracy. And for Musine, a woman, to come from a patriarch, very patriarchal society, to have these very um, progressive ideas, I think it's extraordinary. But tragically, there was no space for a voice like that in the Albania of 1945. And Musine Kokolari disappeared from the world for 40 years into imprisonment in Burel and internment in in the north of Albania. And those were places that we, we have visited, but um, we got to see them, or at least the the signs and the, the roads leading off into them on a regular basis on our weekly journeys through the accursed mountains from uh, Kosovo into Albania when we were commuting back and forth in the, the eight years when we were splitting our lives between the countries. And I just remember 
every week as the journey went on and the landscape got wilder and more barren um, and more accursed, looking out of the window and then seeing that signpost uh, that there was the turnoff for Rochen and remembering that life uh, lived in the bleakness of Rochen over those years. It's the most beautiful weekly commute imaginable with the, the, the dawn or the sunset over the Albanian mountains. But when you think of what it must have been like before there was a main road through there, when it was a dozen or more hours by a truck up from the capital, deep into this lost valley, which housed some of the worst of, of the dictatorship's prisons, often entirely cut off by snow in the winter uh, or exposed to you know, brutal heat in the summer. Uh, and when you visit today towns like um, Burel or Rechen, which are fascinating to visit and have little aspects of charm, but are still quite bleak, you get some sense, some some faint sense of, of just what a terrifying confinement it must have been. From 1946 to 1949, she was kept in Tirana prison. Then she, sent, she was sent in Burel. So now, there is a difference when you hear about prison and labor camps. So what prison means, you spend 22 hours in the cell isolation so it was only two hours for whatever doing exercise and um whatever they they, they they you were allowed to do even the toilets were not allowed to open during the night didn't matter what you went through in 1961 she was interned in Rochen. she didn't have visiting rights for five years she couldn't go anywhere without secret police permission her mother lived with, with her for two years then she went back to Tirana and died but she disappeared she disappeared not a word you could say about her not a word she could say to you back she wouldn't talk to anyone in the street even the people that she knew because she was scared and she didn't want to she wanted to protect you as well um i would describe her life in Rochen like a witch a witch hunt in the West, maybe in 16th and 17th centuries. She was harassed everywhere she went by young men, young women in the street, calling her all sorts of names. And she had no, no she didn't have a choice, but she would put her hair down and go and disappear in her own room. So I'll give you just just a little example, just a small example that one of her, her neighbours finally managed to track her down. So she will go out into town, and these young women, Maria's, will say to her, Musine, she'll say, no, no, do not speak to me in public. Do not speak to me in public, because you've got two children. You've got a job. Even that is difficult, they may do something to you. So do not speak to me. You're young. You don't understand. You don't understand the risks you're taking. Her legacy as a woman, as a writer, as someone who opposed communism constructively should be studied in the history books. And you're now writing a book about her. And so is that your contribution to making her voice heard? What do you hope that people will get from reading the story in your book? 
and I'm writing the book with my husband, Jonathan. We want the world to know about Musina. Yeah, she's a writer, she's a feminist, she's a pacifist. She's dignified and she's dignified until her last day. And I think she deserves to be recognized internationally. People just talk about her as a victim. Right. She's, she's bigger than that. She Can at I... least is commemorated in, in Pristina's streets <laughs> and now a little bit more in, in Tirana as well with the library named after her. Yes, yes, more. More should, should be done for her. And you've okay. given them a few little uh, clues to your own biography, but you mentioned that, you know, growing up in Albania and with these challenges from your family's history, and then you've mentioned that you're now based in the UK. So can you talk a little bit about how that uh, shift came about? I ended up in England uh, in 2001 because I worked for the current prosecution of Elbasan at that time. Um, and I had some troubles, um, so political troubles, um, because I was uh, a supporter of the Democratic Party and so was my family at that time. So I took my son and went to England, sought asylum. You talked about how... Uh, Albania under communism had kept the old uh, Oriental Ottoman structures, kind of social uh, structures and habits. And now we're in the 21st century. Uh, Albania has been, in theory, a democratic country for more than 30 years, uh, open to the West, uh, open to Western influence, trading with the West, uh, full uh, economic freedoms, uh, rampant capitalism. How do you see the situation for women in Albania today? I do have a lot of faith. If if the state uh, empowered more women economically, they will be more independent socially. They will get more involved politically. But I see it in small villages that women have no voice. Mm. They have no voice. Money come from the men. They emigrate. They go to uh, Greece, make a bit of cash or Italy. They come back home. Women are at home. They look after the farm, but they have no voice. They don't have a voice. But it, only the economy, I think, because it's not that they, there is no potential. There is a lot of potential like everywhere in the world. And that's a great uh, reason why your story of Moussine is, is so powerful then, because then that is offering a model for, for those women oh, that you're talking about. Oh, Elizabeth, I'm so glad you said it. Absolutely, we need Shota Galitza. So we need Moussine Kopelari. Other Balkan women have been great. And if you're taking the bus today, between Pristina and Tirana, winding through the, the staggering beauty of the accursed mountains. And if you listen very, very carefully, you might just hear the echoes of the story of Musinekakolari and the stories of many other political prisoners coming out of those hills. Keep listening. So in our next podcast, we'll be exploring another extraordinary life of a woman from Balkan history. We look forward to sharing that with you.
Coffee in the Accursed Mountains, our podcast looking at stories of life and culture around the Balkans. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. Please subscribe. Please rate us. Please tell your friends about us. No Man's Lands, Eight Extraordinary Women in Balkan History is available on Amazon and Kindle and can be ordered from your local bookshop. Thank you.